That's always a bigger amen. All right. I want you to stand with me, and I want to get into the Word of God with you. And it's so good. I tell you, I love this weather. This is Hawaii weather, but we're not in Hawaii. But it's Hawaii weather, and I'm so thankful for it. I want to remind you that Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Philippians. And, you know, we put as much into Wednesday nights as we do Sunday mornings. And so I want to just invite you personally to be here. Say, Pastor, I'm so tired when I get home. I know you're tired. I'm tired when I get here sometimes. But, you know, when you get the Word of God, and we put a lot of work into getting into the Word of God on Wednesday nights. So I want to personally invite you this week. I'm going to call it, Where's the Beef? Where's the Beef? And uh, I'll tell you what that means if you come Wednesday night. All right, let's look at Psalms 33, verse 12. I want to begin a series today that I'm going to call America at the Crossroads. America at the Crossroads. I believe our nation is at the Crossroads. I believe our nation is in some trouble. And I believe that the answer for our nation is God. It's not a political party. It is not a person. It is God. And I believe it's time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to wake up. And so if you'll um, indulge me the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about America at the crossroads. Next week, I'm going to call it a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I'm going to let you wonder all week long what that might be. Is it a person? Is it a thing? I'm going to talk to you about that next week. But America at the crossroads. Let's look at Psalms 33, verse 12. And I want you to read this with me. It's a great verse. Are you ready? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now, I think that's worth reading one more time because how many of you want God to be the God of this nation, the God of the Bible? I think I'm going to get a little bit worked up today because this has been chewing on me for a while. And so let's read it again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Father, open our eyes to your word today, and I pray for a great blessing on it. I pray you will speak to us, and we want to take a moment, Lord, and pray for the United States of America. We pray, Lord, that your hand will move again in this nation. We pray, Lord, that your power will be manifested once again. Lord, we dare to pray for revival to sweep from coast to coast again in this nation. We ask you, Lord God, to bring times of refreshing, times of awakening, and to turn this nation back to the God it was founded upon. And we thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better listen to this. You're going to need it in the days to come. As I speak, our nation is in a ferocious warfare, a battle of values, a battle of morals, a battle of theology, literally a battle over which God, what God will be the God of this land. Because you won't have many. You'll wind up with one. 
one God over this nation. It might be the God of liberalism, the God of secularism, the God of immorality, the God of situational ethics, or it will be the God of the Bible. You hold in your hand the greatest book in existence in the world today, and that book, the Bible, was penned by Almighty God. All Scripture, can you say with me? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so the Bible you hold in your hand is a book written by the very Spirit of the living God. And that is the truth we stand on. And that's the truth we've got to get our nation back to. Now, I wanted to share with you, first of all, that with all of her faults, and there's many, America is still the greatest place on earth to live. If you were to ask me, <clears throat> amen. If you were to ask me, well, pastor, is there anywhere in the world you want to live but America? No. I want to visit a lot of places, but I want to live in the good old U.S. of A. That's where I want to be. And there is a reason that America is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Let me talk about her greatness for just a moment. America is great in beauty, and I believe that, physical beauty, but that is not what makes her great in the best sense of the word. What makes America great? America is great for her freedoms. You don't see people trying to break out of America to go to a place that's freer you see people breaking out of where they are and coming here because of the freedoms of America. So America is great for her freedoms. But I've got to tell you as a preacher and as an American citizen today that America's freedoms are under attack, under assault. Right now, as we speak, there is a vicious, ferocious warfare underfoot to remove our freedoms from us. Let me talk about a troubling trend today. In our America, there is a troubling trend towards anti-Americanism and anti-patriotism. I'm going to tell you, I am a child of God first, a Christian first, but I am a patriot second. I love America. And it's very disturbing to me today that there seems to be a movement afoot of anti-patriotism anti-Americanism, slamming this country, and I will be the first to agree with you, America has many sins. And I believe if we don't repent of some of those sins, of all of those sins, but particularly some of them that I'm going to be addressing in the next few weeks, I believe that God will have to judge us. But even so, America is still great for her freedoms. And we need to return to a pride in our country. There's no question in my mind that the United Nations could be closed today and we would be better off. <clears throat> now you say, well, why do you say that, Pastor Jeff? Because it is comprised primarily of anti-American members who are doing all they can to strip us of our sovereignty and destroy our freedoms. I don't believe in the U.N. I don't think we need the U.N. Now, one way this is taking place on the part of people, members of the U.N., and others even within our own country is 
the consistent attempt to revise history in order to undermine the character and the integrity of our founding fathers. Saying that they weren't who we think they were. And it's starting at the top and moving all the way down into the textbooks of our children. They say, those who are anti-American, anti-patriot, that the founding fathers were motivated not by principle, but by property. That what they really were motivated by is greed and desire for wealth. And that is why they were here. This is ludicrous. Let me just tell you the truth about the founding fathers. The men who signed the Declaration of Independence had far more to lose than to gain. Most of them were already wealthy. They didn't need money. They didn't need land. Twenty-four of the founding fathers were lawyers. Nine were landowners or rich farmers. Eleven were merchants. The others were physicians, ministers, and politicians. All but two who signed the Declaration had families. They were educated men of standing in their communities. They knew security and they knew prosperity, but they felt there was something more important than both of those, and that was freedom. They knew that the penalty for treason, which the king considered what they were doing to be, was death, death by hanging. And yet they signed the declaration anyway. Let me give you some quotes from some of those signers. John Hancock signed twice as large as all the others, and he said this, Now His Majesty can read my name without his glasses. I like that. <clears throat> Stephen Hopkins was so old that when he signed, his hand shook. But after signing, he looked up and said, Gentlemen, my hand trembles, but my heart does not. Four delegates from New York were particularly wealthy. While British ships were just a few miles off the coast and most of New York had already evacuated, they signed anyway, knowing that they would be pursued, and they were. Some were captured and tortured, and many died. I want to say something today to the young people and by radio to anyone listening on the subject of flag burning, you need to know when you look at this flag, the stripes, the stars, you see those red stripes. You know what that is? Those red stripes are bars of blood. A price paid for you to be free. What we've got to get into our mind is that freedom is always at risk. And there's only one way to keep it, one way to maintain it, and that is by fighting for it, sacrificing for it, and dying for it. And i got to tell you, when young people or anybody today burns that flag in some kind of idiotic demonstration, it's not freedom of speech in my mind. It is not. It is high treason against the land of the free, the home of the brave, and they should be prosecuted. That's right.
Because when you burn that flag, you're making a mockery of young men and women who have given their very life at a very young age so that you have freedom of speech and can come and go as you please. The greatness of America is the greatness of her freedom. What a great place to be that I can stand like this and preach the Word of God without fear of being arrested, without fear of going to jail, without fear of being put in handcuffs because of what I said. I pray we keep that freedom. I pray that the day never arrives that when I'm preparing a message straight out of the Word of God, I know before I come deliver it that I could be arrested for saying what I'm about to say. I tell you, church, it's time for righteous anger. There is a good anger, and it's righteous. But America is not only great because of her freedom. America is great because of her God, and I want you to know that. Just as the revisionists want to rewrite history in order to undermine the character and the integrity of our founding fathers, they also want to undermine and erase our godly heritage. They try to tell us this nation wasn't really founded upon God, but that's a lie. And the whole world knows that it's a lie. And I want you to know it's a lie. And our radio listeners to know that that is a bald-faced lie. Even a South American president years ago said this, people came to my continent looking for gold, but those who came to America were looking for God. I tell you, God bless America. God bless America. Let's take a quick journey just for a moment through the religious history of America. I want you to know this because we're headed towards voting day November 4th. I want you to know the history of this land. And if anybody's not ignorant of it, it ought to be Christians. In 1620, the first pilgrims arrived. A little band of people had crossed the Atlantic in a sailboat 26 by 113 feet crossed the Atlantic. They landed on the Atlantic coast in the bitter cold of winter. As they stepped off the boat, they signed a compact called the Mayflower Compact. You've heard of that. The second paragraph of the Mayflower Compact begins by stating their reason for coming. And here was their reason. It says, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Well, when they got here, God allowed them to be tested. The first winter was rough. At times, the daily ration of food for these pilgrims was five grains of corn per person per day. Forty-four of them died in the first five months. Fifty-eight survived. In the fall of 1621, they reaped their first harvest. And what was their first harvest? It was 21 acres of corn. And you know what they did? Their immediate response was to thank God. They marched through the cornfields singing, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Amen. And so there you have America in its early days being baptized in praise, baptized in worship, baptized in faith, baptized in faith towards God. 
on December 13th. Those 58 pilgrims gathered with 80 friendly Indians and celebrated three days of Thanksgiving, which the encyclopedia records as three days of revival. Three days of preaching, three days of praying, three days of singing, and three days of eating. Thank God we've kept that custom. Christians still like to eat. Everybody say amen. But you know, the funny thing is, check your kids' textbooks, and you'll find the revisionists have already been there. Most of them say the pilgrims and the Indians met to thank each other. They didn't meet to thank each other. They met to thank God, and that's what they did. In 1863, Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving that we are now fast approaching. In his proclamation, he made a sad observation. I want you to hear this. He said, quote, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. He goes on, quote, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Well, if it was that way in Lincoln's day, where are we now? I wonder what Lincoln would say if he could watch one day of American television today. The folks we know as the Puritans gave their reasons for coming to America as well. In one document, they wrote these words, Whereas we all came into these parts of America with one and the same end and aim to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in liberty and peace. They came here, folks, not to build a secular nation, but they came here for religious, spiritual freedom that they might worship God with all of their heart, not be forced into a state church like they were in England, and could worship God in their own liberty, in their own way. That's why they came here, and they dedicated this land to the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, Benjamin Franklin was challenged over opening a political session with prayer. Can you imagine he had the gall to do that? And here's what he wrote when he was challenged for opening in prayer. I've lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convinced, uh, convincing proofs I see of this truth. That God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Benjamin Franklin wrote those words. And I want to tell you today, this nation is great 
because it was dedicated to the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to be bold enough to go on and say it. It was not dedicated to Allah. It was not dedicated to Confucius. It was not dedicated to Buddha. It was not dedicated to Muhammad. It was dedicated to Jesus Christ. Now I've got to tell you, one of the greatest enemies of Christianity in America today has been the ACLU, who I affectionately call the Against Christian Liberties Union. That wonderful group of people who want to eradicate Christianity off the face of the map. That wonderful group of people who want nativity scenes taken off the public square during Christmas. The Against Christian Liberties Union's endless attacks have all turned on the phrase separation of church and state. You've probably heard it a thousand times. You can't do that because there's separation of church and state. You shouldn't get involved in politics because it's separation of church and state. You just stay over in your little corner and practice your silly little faith, but don't get involved in the political machinations of this country. But do you know that that phrase separation of church and state never one time appears in the Constitution? Never one time? Say, well, Pastor, where'd they get it? Well, it's found in Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto. It's found there, but it's not found in our Constitution, not anywhere. The phrase separation of church and state was coined in the United States from a letter that Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, wrote to a Baptist association a private letter, and here's what he was doing. He was assuring them that he would keep the government out of the church. I'm going to say that again because we got it flipsy, topsy-turvy. He said, I am assuring you as the president, I will keep the government out of the church, not the church out of the government. Now, the ACLU, being attorneys, will counter, and they will say, no, the founders wanted to keep religion out of the government and out of the public square. We don't want your nativity scenes. We don't want your Bibles. We don't want your carolers. We don't want your lights. We don't want your Christianity muddling up our secular culture. They wanted our nation to be a secular nation. The ACLU says about the founders, they really wanted our nation to be a secular nation and simply allow private religious practice. Is that true? History doesn't bear that view at all. That is a lie perpetrated by secularists and propagated by a liberal secular media who I can hardly watch anymore. Journalism is dead. Now it's party politics disguised as news. Well, let's just see if it's true. Let's see if the founders really intended for this to be a secular nation and not religious. Let's see. 
Our first president, George Washington, took the oath of office and put his hand on what? The Bible. What was the first official act as president that George Washington partook of? Are you ready? He kissed the Bible. Then he held a two-hour praise and worship session in Congress. Did you know that? How did they determine to open sessions of Congress? Prayer. Who would lead in those prayers? Chaplains. And how would those ta chaplains be paid? Tax dollars. Now that's one thing I don't mind my taxes going to. Chaplains standing up, preaching the word, and praying to the living God. I'll finance that. Now so far, does it sound to you like the founders wanted to keep God out of government? By the way, opening in prayer, the practice of opening in prayer, is a study in double standards in America. Because you can't open in prayer in school with our little children. And Jesus warned this. He said, woe unto you if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. It's better for you that a millstone be tied around your foot and you be cast into the ocean than that you make one of these little ones stumble. And when they don't let them pray and they take the commandments off the wall and they plunge them into spiritual darkness, they have a serious judgment coming at the hand of God. How is it the little boys and girls can't pray to God, can't open their classrooms in prayer, but congressmen can? And speaking of Congress, who decided to put in God we trust on our coins? It was adopted by Congress in 1956. If you want to look at the place Christianity and God and the Bible played in the early days of America... It's easy to find, but you won't find it in the textbooks where the revisionists have gutted it of the truth. In 1776, 11 of the 13 colonies required that you had to be a Christian to be eligible to run for political office. A Christian. Now, it's like it's a negative. If you're a Christian, you've got to explain it away to run for public office. In 1777, the Continental Congress voted to spend $300,000 to purchase Bibles for distribution in the nation. Religion out of politics? I don't think so. The Gettysburg Address states, quote, This nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. 94% of the writings of the founding fathers of the United States contain quotations from the Bible. 94%. The state constitutions of all 50 states mention God. The famous Liberty Bell has part of, of Leviticus 25, verse 10, inscribed on it. It reads, quote, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And when they said that and quoted that and used that on the Liberty Bell, they directly connected that to spiritual freedom. Part of Proverbs 14.34 is inscribed above the Los Angeles City Hall door. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. An image of Moses carrying the tablets of God's law faces the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Moses. The president takes his oath of office with his right hand on the Holy Bible and concludes his vow, so help me God. 
The Supreme Court itself begins each of its sessions with the phrase, God save the United States and this honorable court. Amen. First Vice President and Second President John Adams wrote in 1798, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, our Constitution was made for people of faith. And if you try to put our Constitution on atheistically inclined people, it doesn't work as well as with people of faith. President Thomas Jefferson wrote, quote, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and His justice cannot sleep forever. Our sixth president, John Quincy Adams, said, No book in the world deserves to be so unceasingly studied and so profoundly meditated upon as the Bible. The Bible. The Bible. The Christian writings and pronouncements of Abraham Lincoln, we could spend the rest of the day quoting those. Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president and governor of New Jersey, said in 1911, America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of the Holy Bible. Theodore Roosevelt, our 26th president, wrote in 1917, in this actual world, a churchless community, a community where men have abandoned and scoffed at or ignored their religious needs, is a community on the rapid downgrade. See, when we meet like this, people of faith, worshiping God, sharing from the scriptures, building up lives of righteousness and of faith, it is a deterrent to evil out there. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its saltiness. Where will it be sprinkled? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be trodden out or cast out and trodden under foot of men. That's why here at Turning Point, we want to be salty, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Word of God, full of walking with Jesus. If you come in here you're going to hear about Jesus Christ because I know you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I know there's not another name given among men whereby we must be saved. You will not go to heaven apart from the shed blood of Jesus of Nazareth. And isn't it amazing that all these early presidents knew it and said it? In 1923, Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president, said this about our founding fathers. Listen to this. It's profound. They were intent upon establishing a Christian commonwealth in accordance with the principles of self-government. They were an inspired body of men. It has been said that God sifted the nations that he might send choice grain into the wilderness. Who can fail to see in America the hand of destiny? Who can doubt that it has been guided by a divine providence? Calvin Coolidge Sounds like a preacher. Franklin Roosevelt prayed this prayer on national radio on D-Day. And I wonder, well, as a matter of fact, I'll answer it. No, he couldn't pray this prayer today. Because the secular liberal media would shut him down. 
But listen to this. He prayed as the troops stormed the beaches of Normandy. He said, Almighty God, with thy blessing we shall prevail over the unholy forces of our enemy. Help us to conquer the apostles of greed and racial arrogance. Lead us to the saving of our country. Thy will be done, Almighty God. Amen. God help us. God bring revival. God help the church to stand up. Harry Truman, our 33rd president, not known to be a committed believer, nevertheless understood the spiritual heritage of our country. He said, quote, If men and nations would but live by the precepts of the ancient prophets and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount, problems which now seem so difficult would soon disappear. Gerald Ford, our 38th president, quoted a 1955 speech by Eisenhower on December 5th, 1974, quote, without God, there could be no American form of government, nor an American way of life. Recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Wow. Dwight Eisenhower got by with that in 55. It goes on, thus the founding fathers of America saw it, and thus with God's help it will continue to be. Recognition of a supreme being is foundational to Americanism. President Ronald Reagan said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be one nation gone under. George Bush, whatever you think about him, was asked to name the philosopher that had the greatest influence on his life, and his answer was Jesus Christ because he changed my heart. I want to talk to you very honestly today. The church is going to have to come out from under the intimidation of political correctness. Can I just talk to you heart to heart for a minute, church? I could read so many quotes, we could be here all day. This nation was founded not just on God, but on the Christian faith and the secularists and the humanists and the atheists and the agnostics can say what they will and whine and cry as long as they want. They can try to revise every textbook in our children's classrooms, but they cannot erase the reality that this was God's country. It was dedicated to God, given to God, turned over to God and honored by God. There is a force afoot today to muzzle our mouth, cause us to remain in the shadows and not speak the truth. Call it what you want. It's political correctness gone amok. You can't stand up for God in our country without being persecuted. Well, so be it. Gee, the Bible says those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Persecution. 
It's time, folks. We've got to stand up and we've got to speak up or lose it all. I'm telling you, I'm calling the church. Every pastor listening to me, every preacher listening to me, every Christian listening to me, you better shake off the shackles of intimidation. Shake it off. Shake it off. Or the historical revisionists and the agnostics and the liberals and the godless will surely hijack this country from its spiritual roots. And it's not time tomorrow. It's time today. We've got to do it today. I was in prayer last night. And I said, Lord, I'm going to bring a heavy word tomorrow, and I'm going to bring a heavy word for the next couple of weeks, next few weeks, because the elections are coming. And Lord, what are you saying to them? And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to bring them a message of hope. And I said, well, what is the message of hope? You tell me. And the Lord spoke to me four words. You want to know what it is? Tell them, it's not too late. That's what he told me. It's not too late. Now, I want, you to, I want you to watch this now. The spirit of the day seems to say to Christians like you and I who believe in the Bible, who worship the one and the true living God, who believe that Christ is the only way, that we are antiquated, that we are ignorant, that we are unschooled, that we are right-wing extremist nutcases who really need to be put on the far fringe of political life and sort of looked at uh-huh, that way. But I want to tell you something. This is the way our former presidents believed. This is the way the founders believed. This is what this nation was built on. We have been under attack for the last 50 years by historical revisionists, by social engineers who want to re-engineer this culture. And the Lord said to me, the atheists want you to believe it's too late. The agnostics want you to believe it's too late. The godless want you to believe it's too late. The Hollywood elites want you to believe it's too late. But here's what God says. It's never over until God has had his say. Say with me, it's not too late. It can turn on a dime. There is a sleeping giant in this country and the sleeping giant is the people of faith. And it's time to wake up, sleeping giant. It's time to shake the sleep out of your eyes. It's time to stand up because our enemies are not sleeping. They are intent. They have made up their minds that this nation will be socially re-engineered, but not if God has his say. Here's the verse, if my people, if, that means when you see if, you are approaching a conditional promise. Some promises in the Bible are absolute. He's coming back no matter what you do. But if means you're looking at a conditional promise, contingent upon action. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from the wicked ways that have infiltrated them. Then I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. Not maybe, not might, not perhaps so, not maybe so. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. America's at the crossroads and you know what it hinges on? The church. It doesn't hinge on government. It doesn't hinge on politics. It hinges on the church. A praying, repenting, God-honoring church cannot be stopped. It's the greatest force on earth. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God has called us to pray. And I want to encourage you in your, in your little world. In, in my, I've got a little world. I've got neighbors. I live in a house. There's people around me. I'm here. And I told God, we're one church and we're on the radio. But I'm going to do everything I can to get the people of God to praying to standing up, to sharing Christ without shame, without intimidation. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It's time for you to open up where you work, open up where you live. It's time for you to get out there and get salty. And God can turn it. Don't miss the next couple of weeks. Next week, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Let's stand together, can we? I don't know if you feel what I do, but I feel a great burden for our country. And yet, it's not too late. It's not too late. Can we just right now lift up this land, lift up these elections, lift up this country that was dedicated to God and to His Son? Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you did establish this land. The first people setting foot on it dedicated this land to the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to spiritual religious freedom. They knew only one God and one Savior. They were not bogged down in multicultural pluralism. Lord, forgive us that we have squandered what you have given us as a country. And we repent for the sin in our own lives. The church has sinned, Lord. We've gossiped, we've slandered. We've involved ourselves in immorality. We've looked like the culture, looked like the world, talked like the world. Forgive us. And Lord, we believe it's not too late. It can turn on a dime. We ask you, Lord God, 
to involve yourself in the upcoming elections that we would vote for principle and not party for righteousness and not political correctness and Lord save this country from a downward spiral resulting from walking away from you we thank you for this powerful precious book the Bible and that all of our founders respected it, loved it, even kissed it when sworn into office. We thank you for it. Thank you for it. Now I want you to breathe a prayer and say, Lord, whatever I can do to turn the tide and save this country, show me and I will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today.